have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. A new world order. Child sex trafficking. The deep state is trying to destroy Donald Trump's presidency. Loose the battle plans of heaven. It's all about control. Broadcasting live to the world now. It's the weekend vigilante, Sheila Zelinsky. Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zelinsky Show for this Wednesday, November 8th, 2017 edition. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to tune into the program. And I hope you are enjoying the program on our new customized app. That's right. The Weekend Vigilante app is for all smart devices, including Android, iPhone. And do make sure that you do update your app because we've fixed some glitches and you can now multitask, which is a feature that we heard back from you that you wanted. So we're really glad to incorporate that. And we hope you are enjoying the podcast as well. And do not forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Well, today I'm really excited to bring on my guest because I've wanted to have him on for a while. Everyone knows that I'm very passionate about the green agenda. I wrote the book, Green Gospel, How Environmentalism is Really Becoming a New Religion. And it is such a pleasure for me to have on this guest today. It is Dr. Patrick Moore. He has been a leader in the international environmental field for over 40 years. He is a co-founder of Greenpeace, president and director of Greenpeace International. That's right, the leader of many of those Greenpeace cringe-worthy campaigns, Save the Whales, Save the Seals. Why did he leave Greenpeace in 1986? Because of his huge concern at the anti-science and extreme political policies it was adopting. But nevertheless, he of course remains passionately concerned about the environment. But I say he's the sensible environmentalist, which of course makes him a most controversial figure as the current Greenpeace policies. They're not even remote aligned with his sensible view. I absolutely love his book, Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout. It is such a pleasure for me to finally have this articulate and knowledgeable guest on the show today. Dr. Patrick Moore, welcome to the show. The first time that you've been on the program, hopefully one or more. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Sheila. Nice to be with you. Well, of course, very timely that as we're doing this interview, the world's nations are meeting for the 23rd Annual Conference of the Parties, COP, under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate. The United Nations hopes to get this, create an operating manual for implementing the Paris Agreement on Climate Change with, of course, talks in the next two weeks in Bonn. There you go. Just what we need, an operating manual to go with the climate dictatorship that's proposed by Jorgen Randers. That's right. I just said a climate dictatorship. Jorgen Randers, a Norwegian professor of climate strategy, who's, by the way, claimed to fame as he's the co-author of 1972 frightening sci-fi 
limits to growth, which scared a generation to believe we would run out of all the resources and kill humanity with suffocating air pollution. He proposes a climate dictatorship to solve global warming. But you know what's even more staggering about his argument is that this Swedish newspaper doesn't clearly mark the viewpoint as extreme. Instead, they have their political analysts muse about whether a climate dictatorship is really necessary and ending up at the conclusion of, well, yeah, possibly. And as if that wasn't shocking enough, what does Governor Moonbeam Jerry Brown say? And I quote, the world needs brainwashing on climate change. That's right. He said verbatim at the highest circles. People still don't get it. It's not just a light rinse that's required. We need a total brainwashing. Al Gore, hey, never mind about those cooling trends. It's like our friend Richard Lindzen says, believing CO2 controls the temperature is like believing in the tooth fairy. Where do you start with all this circus ridiculous? Well, it's amazing that they've gotten away with creating another scare story, in this case about CO2, because it's true that from about 1945 to 1975, there was a cooling period. It's true that many scientists were noticing this and warning of a coming cold period. But there are two cycles in the modern era, that is, I mean, say, in the last 10,000 years. There's a 1,000-year cycle of warming and cooling, and if you go back just 3,000 years, there's the Minoan Warm Period, then 2,000 years, the Roman Warm Period, 1,000 years, the Medieval Warm Period, and today, the Modern Warm Period, and in between each warm period, of course, there's been a cool period. The last one was called a Little Ice Age, because it was even more severe than the ones previously in between the other warm periods, and indeed, our modern warm period is not as warm as the Roman or Minoan warm periods. We know that for sure. So there's been a general cooling trend in the warm periods over the last four or 5,000 years. Then there's a 60-year cycle. Now, we don't have that accurately for back in those thousands of years because it's too fine a detail. But now we know in the last couple hundred years of this 60-year cycle, which is a warming and cooling cycle. Right now, we're in a kind of flatlining stage between 1970 and the year 2000, there was a warming. Between the year 1940 and 1980 or so, there was a cooling. So these these are the cycles that are going on. And a lot of people believe they have to do with the sun and our location in the galaxy, which is very interesting because, as you may know, the galaxy has arms, like they're sort of spirals that go out. Yeah. Our, our sun is passing through these arms and then going into a space that doesn't have as much in it and then through another arm. So the cycles upon cycles upon cycles is what it really is. And on top of that, there's a great wall of chaos involved in the whole thing. And so anybody who says that it's basic physics or something like that is talking through their hat. Well, and these computer models, Dr. Moore, they're such a, a joke. Everyone has been a flop. And besides that, how, as you just alluded to, how can you build a long-term CO2 trajectory if you have a, a time period where there's absence of human emissions, well, that pretty much puts a kibosh on man-made climate change. I even read something from the United Nations. Uh, I call them the International Panel of Climate Crooks. But they have a long-term prediction of future climate states not possible. There it is, Patrick. 
Yes, they actually, the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the UN body, is a partnership of the World Meteorological Organization, which is weather forecasters, and the United Nations Environment Program, which is environmentalists. Neither of these have the long-term geological view of hundreds of millions of years. They're mostly focused on now and, and like next week. They're not focused on long term, so that's a problem. But the main problem with the IPCC is that it is inherently conflicted by its own mandate to find on the side of apocalypse, because it is only mandated to look at human impacts on the global climate. And therefore, if it were to find that humans aren't the main cause of the global climate, or that even if we were, it isn't dangerous, there'd be no need for their existence. So just like with politicians in all the world's governments who want the scientists to give them evidence of an impending disaster so that they can then pretend they're going to save the electorate from this impending disaster by passing laws and regulating everything and taking away our freedoms, that's the way that works. So the, the, the interface between science and politics here is as actually this is the biggest threat to the Enlightenment that has existed since Galileo was crucified. Well, he wasn't. He was crucified uh, figuratively and sentenced to house arrest for the rest of his life. And if he hadn't recanted, they would have killed him. So all through history, individuals who make discoveries that are historical and game-changing are persecuted. Einstein, for example, when he brought out the theory of relativity, 100 top scientists signed a document saying he was wrong. That's right. His response was brilliant. He said, why 100? It would only take one. <laughs> but they, Al Gore would like us to believe the science is settled, the debate is over. What debate and what consensus? I mean, this isn't science, Patrick, you know this, you're a scientist. Isn't scientist an ongoing mode of inquiry? Yes, it is, Sheila. But not only that, the word consensus is not a word that is relevant in the slightest to science. Yeah. It, that's because, you know, Einstein, one guy figured out relativity. He wasn't a consensus of 97%. He was one person. And that's how science works. So consensus is a political and social word. Once science has discovered something new, and, and you can accept that this is part of truth or fact, then that can inform a political consensus. And that's the way it should work, because going from scientists shouldn't be making the decisions. They should be providing reliable information to the decision makers who should, in an ideal world, be elected by the population. Although Plato thought that the top 5% of the people should be in charge and the rest weren't worthy. That was back then. Of course, the argument about you know personal freedom and, and control by the state and all that is the left-right argument in a nutshell. But that should have nothing to do with climate change. The fact that climate change has become politicized with left and right, believe me, the left have made the wrong choice here. I'm not left or right when it comes to environmental issues. I don't believe it makes any sense. The, the environment is not political. The environment is to be studied and figure out how it works and not to decide this is left and this is right. And even in politics, we should be choosing the best from both the left and right. And I, I characterize that as choosing the market-based approach to distributing uh, goods and wealth in the most efficient manner. And I say that you, you take from the left the necessary regulatory approach to make sure that people aren't abusing each other or lying in advertising and that sort of thing. So there's no need to couch this in a left-right manner, but that's just what's happened, and it's it's very unfortunate. And I, But I know the left will lose on the bet that they've made 
on CO2 being the control knob of the Earth's climate. It's like almost childish to say such a thing because you go back in the historical record, the best knowledge we have of CO2 and temperature, they're hardly even correlated ever, never mind in an obvious lockstep cause-effect relationship. Shark attacks and ice cream consumption are far more correlated than temperature and CO2 in a historical sense. And the lesson there is that correlation does not imply causation. But if there's no correlation, there's no causation. That's right. And that is the case with CO2 and temperature going back. All they have to cling to is the fact that we're in the 60-year cycle where it's warming right now and CO2 is increasing. So they have a correlation at the present time. But that's the shark attack ice cream consumption comparison. Obviously, shark attacks don't cause ice cream consumption, and ice cream consumption doesn't cause shark attacks, <laughs> but they are perfectly correlated. They follow each other like up and down together perfectly. That is because they are both caused by a common third factor, which is warm summer temperatures, where people go swimming and get bit by sharks and eat ice cream. And in the, in the cold time of year, they do neither. So whenever we're looking at this causes that, that's why they, they invented the word linked. They say mm -hmm. vaccines are linked to autism. They're not saying vaccines cause autism. It's linked to. So linked to is a trick word that is used by campaigners to make you think that there's a causal relationship there when they, they are, you know, if you look up autism linked you will find that autism is linked to about 25 things. In the same way, you will find that climate change is linked to about 3,000 things. It's actually, I was talking to Jackie Daly earlier this morning, who has a, a radio show, and she actually said, okay, I'll just, out of fun, I'll Google climate change erectile dysfunction. She actually found that there was a link, yeah, there you know, is. <laughs> and and shorter shorter lizards too, and uh, they're get, they're getting smaller because of climate change and quality of French wines is declining wow. due to climate change and it just goes on and on and on and on and it's all a bunch of hogwash and the climate is changing and changing climates do affect things like rainfall and agricultural productivity and the state of civilization. There's no doubt about that, but. We're not doing it. It's happening because of natural factors. And that's why I joined a group in Washington a couple of years ago and helped create the CO2 Coalition, which is a group of scientists like Richard Lindzen and William Happer, top-level physicists and people like this who can actually read those formulas that are about two feet long. And then there's a whole bunch of ex-NASA people. These are astronauts and space architects like designed the International Space Station. That takes a fair amount of expertise. And these are people who, while they were in NASA, which gets over a billion dollars or did at least up until President Trump, for climate research, you're not allowed to be a skeptic on climate change in Nassau. It's verboten. As soon as you leave, though, you, have, you can speak your mind. And there's this group called the Right Climate Stuff, which are all ex-Nassau people yeah. who are a group of skeptics because they were skeptics while they were in there, too. <laughs> I know it's a bunch of hogwash. It's, it's basically has gone from when it was first brought up, it seemed like a possibly plausible hypothesis that CO2 going, you know, because there's been a, a knowledge of greenhouse gases through the history of physics. So it seemed plausible. But after 35 years of nothing turning out the way they predicted, Al Gore said the ice would be gone in the Arctic by now. And it's actually growing again from 2007. So there's been 10 years of 
increasing ice now. Yeah. And there's still there's still all these guys coming out saying the ice is vanishing. When actually, and I, the ice cap on Greenland has been growing for a couple of years now too. That another another indication that we're going into the sixty the thirty year part of the sixty year cycle where this is the cooling part. Now, in terms of the thousand year cycle, we're only about 200 or 300 years into the warming. So there could be another 200 years where there is actual net warming with the 60 year cycles going up and down, but the general trend going up maybe another degree or two, as it did in the Roman warm period and the medieval warm period. And they act as though this is like so out of the ordinary that it's an, an apocalypse. And so I, I tweet all the time, tell me of a single factor in climate or weather today or recently that is anywhere near out of line with the last 10,000 years in this interglacial period. Coming out of the last glaciation period was climate change. We went from half of North America being covered in a sheet of ice yeah. where all of Canada was uninhabitable to today where still a great deal of it is uninhabitable just because it's too cold but it's not covered in a sheet of ice like it was back then where nothing would grow not even a shrub like they act as though the ice today is really important for the earth to have ice ice is the enemy of life yeah. nothing grows on it and as soon as the ice melts an ecosystem returns with plants and birds so there's nothing good about ice except for skiing. I like it for that, and I was a skier, and I therefore I don't hope that it all goes away anytime soon. But it wouldn't be bad for life if the ice went away. And we are in an unusual period in the Earth's history right now in that we're in an ice age, and everybody says it's too hot. It's just such a disaster for history, for science, for geology, that they have been able to foist this fraud with emperor has no clothes written all over it yeah. on so many people. And in my book, which is called Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, it's on Amazon as Kindle or print. So you can get it for eight, like eight bucks if you want. It's 400 pages with over 400 references, and it covers the whole history of Greenpeace while I was in it for 15 years. And then the last half is my vision for how we should be dealing with these issues of toxicology and chemistry and biology and pollution and climate and energy and all the issues that face us today. But what I say is the problem we have here is a powerful convergence of interests among five key elites in our society that benefit from the narrative of climate change disaster. And that's, of course, the Greens who raise money on it, the media who then sensationalize it to get advertising revenue, the politicians who use it to convince people they can help save them from this disaster, the the crony capitalists, basically, like the Tesla and the, the wind power and the solar power and, 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 the, and the ethanol and all that, which is billions of dollars in subsidies coming from taxpayers. Whenever a, a rich person buys a Tesla, they are being subsidized by the whole populace of taxpayers. So it's a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich that's going on in that case and in the case of the so-called renewable energy too, which is all made out of non-renewable stuff. Nobody seems to have noticed that. Then you finally have the scientists 
who are willing to be bought with taxpayers' money. There's very few scientists in the private sector, except for the ones that are working for the crony capitalists. There's very few scientists in the private sector who buy into the apocalypse greenhouse gas climate theory. Most of them are on taxpayers' money working in government bureaucracies, and they are churning out this stuff that as soon as they churn one paper out saying it's a disaster, they always put a little piece on the end saying much more study is needed here, right? And of course, they're just asking for more grant money. And it just goes on and on and on. So those five elites are a very powerful segment of society. They're like, they are the most powerful people in terms of communications and power and politics, etc. So they've got a grip on this story. And that's what fake news is all about. <laughs> fake news. Well, and the stunning part is not just the green levy, the big green subsidies, the green grants, all the money involved, but there's another very sinister part of this. You just saw a couple days ago Prince William arguing for urgent depopulation efforts in Africa. According to The Telegraph, he said that, you know, we're going to have to work much harder and think much deeper if we're going to ensure that human beings and other species of animal can coexist. In 2006, Prince William's father warned that the people of Earth only had 96 months to save the planet before irretrievable climate and ecosystem collapse and all that goes with that. Remember, his grandpa is famously quoted as, if, if I were reincarnated, I would wish to return to the Earth as a killer virus to lower human population levels. You know, and it's probably not one of the most pressing issues in American politics today, but population control and eugenics has unfortunately been embedded in our society for decades, thanks primarily to the progressive left. I've read these books by the Paul Ehrlichs and Population Bomb, Al Gore's Earth in the Balance. All these unscrupulous charlatans have one thing in common. They all demonize CO2 because after all, us CO2-emitting plebs that we are, why not just depopulate? Because they have demonized that designer pollutant, that deadly pollutant, CO2. But what people don't understand is CO2 is the building block of life. Yep, that's what they don't get. They've been actually brainwashed into thinking that CO2 is a pollutant, and the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S. adopted that as a regulation, even though they're scientists. So these people are willing to sell their souls, basically. What scientist doesn't know that carbon dioxide is the main food for plants and the source of carbon for all life on Earth, and what, what plants make sugar out of, which is the source of energy for all life on Earth? You know, I, I go back to when I was a PhD student in ecology. I almost ended up at Washington University in St. Louis, but it was the height of the Vietnam War. I went down there, and I just turned my tail and came back to my Schreier in Vancouver like the <laughs> Hobbit. But the holy grail for me at that point in my life was photosynthesis. I had discovered and understood it and realized that it was the basis for virtually the entire food chain and the web of life and that it was what what was running the, this whole thing was plants turning water and carbon dioxide into sugars and giving us the basis for the carbon in all of our flesh and blood and also for the energy that's used to keep us alive. So what could be more important than that? The fact is CO2 has been declining in the global atmosphere for the last 150 years from about 2,500 ppm during the last glaciation down to 180 ppm, which is only 30 ppm higher than when plants start to, to have a mass die-off due to lack of CO2. It just amazes me that they could even 
doesn't live at 400 like it is now. I mean, that's 0.04% of the air. And plants are able to find a way to get enough of that stuff in them to grow into great big trees. And so it's a miracle because we can't do photosynthesis. We don't know how to replicate that. The only way we can make photosynthesis is take a seed from a plant and plant it. Then that grows into a photosynthetic organism. But all we can make is solar panels, which are full of gallium arsenide and aluminum and all kinds of other things that aren't, you know, that are heavy energy users. It takes on average nine years, even on a good site, to get the energy out of a solar panel that was used to manufacture the thing in the first place. You know, Spain gave it up because it was bankrupting the country. Poland won't do it, but they're all having to pay lip service to it. And the Chinese are doing it mainly in order, because they make most of the solar panels, so they get their own (laughs) panels free by adding 10% to the price of ours. And so they want to look good, uh, and they want to embarrass the United States into bankrupting itself. Again, that's another thing that, that Donald Trump understands, is the way the Chinese are manipulating this whole Paris thing. And Greenpeace and Bloomberg conspire to tell people that China is cutting its use of coal. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's 1,600 new coal plants either built, being built or, or in the planning around the world, and none of them are in North America. They're all in Asia and Africa, and quite a few in Europe, as a matter of fact. So we on this side, uh, with our goody-two-shoes attitude, have been duped into thinking that everyone else is going to be going along with this while we sink ourselves. And, and a contrast between uh, Justin Trudeau and Donald Trump is like total <laughs> night and day. You've got a, a naive pretty boy on one side and you've got a hard-nosed capitalist on the other side who understands the geopolitical situation here and how the United States was being basically taken to the cleaners in this Paris Agreement, that they were supposed to pay for all the rest of the world to put in alternative energy and things like that. And I'm glad that someone at least is standing up to this bullying because it is a lot of it is just plain bullying. Yeah, it's bullying, but it's also wrong facts. And look at all their predictions that never come true. 1988, we have, oh, we only have 10 years left to save the planet. What did we hear in 2000? We only have 10 years left to save the planet. 2006, we only have 10 years left to save the planet. What did we just hear again this year, Patrick? We only have 10 years left to save the planet. All these guys like Bill Nye, the end is Nye guys, I call them, or Al Gore predictions. It never stops with those guys. But even in one actual Bill Maher video I was just looking at last week, he's mindlessly rambling off this barrage of totally unsubstantiated, nonsensical alarmist claims of, oh, ocean life faces mass extinction. He said it about eight times, mm-hmm. Oh, but, but he claims that out of like 10,000 peer-reviewed articles, oh, there was only two that rejected the claim of man-made climate change. I mean, these guys just repeat this propaganda rhetoric over and over, bouncing it around in the echo chamber, just to the point of n- nauseam. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. I mean, the fact is ocean acidification is a complete fabrication in, in itself in the beginning. It's been proven in many papers that marine life grows faster with more CO2. Of course it does. That's what they eat. You know, it's more food for them, for especially the phytoplankton, which are the plants of the sea, the coccolithophores and others, and the kelps. They will grow faster if they have more CO2, not slower. It won't kill them. It's what they eat. You know, so and then they say, well, there can be too much of a good thing. Fact is, CO2 is at one of the historical lows of the history of the Earth. And probably during the last glaciation, when it went down to 180 ppm, it was at the historical low because it was basically steadily declined, net decline steadily 
all through the history of modern life. And the reason for that decline is a little bit is because of fossil fuels, because every time a plant dies and turns into coal or oil, it removes the carbon from the cycle in the atmosphere and the ocean. But the main cause of the loss of carbon from the atmosphere is the calcareous marine organisms that make shells to armor themselves, like clams and oysters and crabs and prawns and shrimp. Coral reefs are one of the main ones. And then there's the microscopic ones, the coccolithophores, which are plankton, and the foraminifera, which are zooplankton. In other words, they're tiny animals that eat the coccolithophores, and calcium, which is present in seawater in, in a fairly high concentration. So they make these shells for themselves to protect themselves from predation. But at the same time, when they die, those shells sink to the bottom and form huge shale sediment deposits, which is where we're fracking the oil and gas from today. But the shale contains the carbon from the CO2 that was in the atmosphere and then dissolved in the ocean and went down to the bottom and then stayed there forever. And so there's been this giant sucking of carbon out of the life system into these shale sediments and you can find this on the internet without any difficulty and so we were getting the carbon cycle was not in a balance it was constantly declining and we actually inadvertently through figuring out how to burn fossil fuels are helping restore a balance to the global carbon cycle and that is my primary thesis along with the fact that it is greening the earth and that's because we're putting it back in the atmosphere at levels that are more conducive to vegetation growth than 280, which is what it was at when we started burning fossil fuels. It's now 400. We did that. We are responsible for salvation, not apocalypse. And so the, the narrative has to be turned on its head, and the CO2 coalition is doing its best to do that. Yes, and kudos to this coalition. That's really important to really combat all the, as you said, the the fake news, the fake narrative, the the propaganda, you know, that spins all this, that tells us, oh, you know, sea levels are rising 20 feet by next week. Every other week, we hear about the rising sea levels, Patrick. Address that, please. Actually, the, the, the Earth's sea level has not had any net change of any significance for at least the last 5,000 years. Bingo. It's gone up and down with the thousand-year cycles. In the Little Ice Age, it was going down. In the, in the modern warm period now, it is going up at least one millimeter per year, which is not going to kill anybody. We can easily deal with that. And if there's a need, we could hire the Dutch because they figured out how to keep the ocean out of about a quarter of their whole country is under the sea level. Yeah. Yeah, or we can move uphill. I mean, look how fast they built Shanghai in the last 15 years. Yeah. We, we can build cities like so fast with our modern technology. It, even after the Second World War, Europe was rebuilt fairly quickly. And now we've got technology that can do it 10 times as fast. So that is not a big threat. But the main thing is, is that there's all these islands in, in, in Indonesia and Palau over on in, in the Coral Triangle area. They're on the equator, close to the equator. They're all undercut. These limestone lines are undercut by about 12 feet. And it's obviously the water that's done that. If the sea was continuously rising, you can't undercut a rock. It wouldn't be at the same level long enough to do that. So it is my hypothesis, supported by many others, including Nils Axel Morner, who is in Stockholm and is the world's expert on sea level and has a whole institute dedicated to it. He knows that the government agencies are exaggerating and manipulating the data to make it seem as though the sea is rising quickly when he's using tide gauges to determine the sea level rise, they're using satellite altimetry, which is easy to fudge with. 
because you're not actually making a direct measure of the of the height of the water at a particular point. By about 7,000 years ago, the big glaciers had all melted, and the Earth went into the, these thousand-year cycles of cooling and warming, which net-wise don't make that much difference to the sea level, because they go up and down, up and down, up and down, but the average remains fairly close to the same. Bingo, and you won't hear that on CNN or MSLSD or any of these clown news outfits, because all we're getting is a steady diet of it's the hottest year on record. Yeah, well, they sold a story of eternal warming, right? It was just going to keep getting warming for the next 8 million years or something, and soon all life would die. You know, that is their basic story. They never maybe say it quite that starkly, but that's what you can infer from what they're saying. They're saying it will just, that the more CO2 we put in the atmosphere, it will just keep getting warmer forever, you know, and, yeah. and that... that that's ridiculous. It's never kept getting warmer forever. It always gets warmer and then cooler and then warmer and then cooler. And there's been so much larger changes and swings in Earth's climate from even a, just a temperature point of view through the ages that what's happening now is nothing. And it's all natural. Less than one degree Celsius, 1.8 degrees Fahrenheit in the last hundred years. And they act as though that's the fastest increase in temperature in the history of the Earth. Balderdash. Well, it is balderdash, but you're not allowed to say that. You know, all these hucksters want, well, take Bill Nye. He's a good example. David Suzuki, other people, they're open to criminal charges and jail time for climate change dissenters. Even in the wake of Harvey, there was huge headlines. Climate change denial should be a crime. Even at the New American, in the wake of Hurricane Harvey and Irma, this one left-wing magazine, The Nation, published an article written by Mark Hertzgard on September 7th linking climate change skepticism with actual murder. He says climate denialism is literally killing us. Hey, murder is murder, and we should punish it as such. I mean, that is absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. I mean, the, why do they call me a climate change denier when, first off, I, I don't deny climate change. I'm only really skeptical of catastrophic human-caused climate change. If someone said to me, have humans played any role whatsoever in the weather and the climate on this earth, I'd say, of course they have. They've cleared vast areas of forest and planted different things there, you know, and put more stuff into the sky during certain periods. But the point is, is that the, the environment is always changing. The changes that are going on in the, in the present era are minor compared to changes which have gone on in the past, and we're not doing it. It's just that we're in a fairly nice, benign interglacial period here now, where at least a large percentage of the Earth is habitable and will grow food for us. Whereas during the last glaciation, this planet could not have supported the population it has today, especially because the CO2 went down so low, because the oceans becoming colder absorbed more of the CO2 from the atmosphere. And if that happens again, like the 100,000-year cycles based on the Milankovitch cycles, if they repeat themselves again now, we would be now about four or 5,000 years going down into the next glacial high, because you go into the glaciation very, very slowly. You come out of it in 10% of the time that it took to go in it. It's sort of a sawtooth graph. Anybody can Google Vostok ice cores or Milankovitch cycle, and they can see these cycles. And we're, we are 
in a place right now where we're gradually going to go back into a colder climate. If we have higher CO2 in our atmosphere, we have a much better chance of doing better through this next glaciation because plants will grow faster in areas that will support them, which will be a smaller area than the area that supports them now. Yes. Well, in the waning moments, I really want you to talk, Patrick, a little bit about this book, Climate Change, The Facts, 2017. And of course, your book, I love this, Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, and also The Coalition. Tell folks more about that. Well, The Facts, Climate Change 2017 is a really good book with a lot of a collection of very good authors who are knowledgeable. My book, Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, gives you a sweeping view of the history of the environmental movement and all the issues involved in it. The the website, co2coalition.org, is our coalition to promote the benefits and understanding of the benefits of CO2 to human civilization and the environment. So that's a good place to go. That should get you started. And if you Google me, you will find all my writings and videos on YouTube and all that stuff. And there's a lot there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. I'm just such a really big fan of your work. I'm such a big fan of this book. And I really do encourage people to go to the coalition, you know, find out. Uh, I think that's just so important to, to understand what's really going on here. I have those links posted. And I do hope that you come and visit us again. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Sheila. Anytime. Thank you, Patrick. Folks, the book is Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, The Making of a Sensible Environmentalist. Gee, what's that? Really good book. And do bookmark CO2Coalition.org. All that information is linked in the description and, of course, on the bio in the archive. So do check out all that information and reach out to Patrick and, and let him know you heard him on the program. And of course, if you are new, do not forget to pick up a copy of Green Gospel, my book. You can find it over there at greengospel.ca and you can check out some of the reviews even on Amazon. It is available on Kindle as well. So make sure you bookmark greengospel.ca. Well, we have a fantastic rest of the week. Augusto Prez joins me Thursday and Friday a special guest who has not been on the show. And trust me, you're going to want to listen to it. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune into the program today. We'll see you again soon. Good night and God bless.